With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. It's Friday morning, and that's time for our political panel. Last week's panel got a lot of feedback and interest. The one before that certainly did. What's going to happen this week? We'll find out. I want to welcome in Marty Gibson, Media Matters um, and um, Counterculture. Good to see you, Marty. Great to see you guys. Olivia Pearson. Good morning, fellas. You um, recovered from, what, a birthday party? Yeah, totally recovered. (laughs) Nothing to recover from. It was a gorgeous evening. Oh, nice to hear. Yeah. And, um, And Peter Williams is with us. Hi, Peter. Great to have you. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here too. Hope we can talk a bit of sense over the next hour or so. We'll try. How's life in the South? Life with me is great. Uh, the wind for now, touch wood or touch plastic in this office, has finally stopped blowing. Uh, I think La Nina has had a massive effect down here in central Otago and even the locals, long-time locals, say it's been the windiest summer they've known for a while. But here we are now, almost into autumn. It's calmed down and the leaves are starting to turn, and it's just the most beautiful place on earth. And you'll be getting ready for the misinformation tour coming away with the uh, red-headed woman and uh, a few others who are building excitement for that? Well, that's really interesting. Um, for my sins, I'm uh, I'm a, a client of Milford Investments, yep. who are sponsors of the Wanaka. They used to call it the Festival of Colour. Now it's got some other name. And uh, as a a Milford client, I was offered free tickets to any event on the program. And I looked through the email, and frankly, Paul, I just about threw my computer against the wall. Uh, I mean, Milford are very, very good investment managers. Yeah. Anybody who's ever had a KiwiSaver or any investments with them has done exceedingly well. But I'm sorry, I'm totally in disagreement uh, as to their sponsorship and involvement with this with this festival. But anyway, each to their own. I'm not taking up the offer of the free tickets. We could have disguised you, sent you in there with a tape recorder. And- <laughs> no, I, I just can't be bothered, Paul. I cannot be bothered. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the lineup is just, frankly, it's just extraordinary. Uh, and, and why they do not come up with some semblance of the other side, the other opinion, I do not know. And this is creative New Zealand money. This is Queenstown Lakes District Council money. Uh, I'm a still a, a rate payer there. Uh, this is what Central Lakes Trust uh, money, and this is Otago Community Trust money, uh, money which is essentially supposedly for the good of the community, but... Mm. You would think if they were going to put all that money into an event like this, a little bit of balance would have been a good idea. But yeah. no way, Jose. And it's all right to work for RNZ and do that. So four, four words, <laughs> Peter. Thirty something PR checks. Yeah. There's your problem right there. <laughs> that is four words. Yeah, okay. Yeah. PR is a word. All right. Well, that's uh, that's interesting to hear about. Let's um start on our list here. First first up is Trump on NATO. Can Europe rely on America if Trump wins? And I think this comes out of something said a week or so ago where if they don't pay up, we're we're not going to help them. Olivia. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Trump is just rocking on and his numbers are growing and growing. And every court case that comes his way, um, of course, they've been designed to smear him constantly. Um, But it's obvious that the American people, both Republicans and Democrats, are just not buying the smears and instead are very angry because of all the election interference just looks so obvious. Um, Hence the new truckers protest who are refusing to take goods into New York. Um, and things like that. Uh, plus the court cases, the other court cases are just collapsing because, you know, the people that bring this lawfare to him are actually very corrupt. So the one in Georgia is looking like a total dead duck and um, the DC documents one is delayed permanently. So, and then there's the South Carolina caucus is um, this Saturday and the polls, of course, are showing that he's not, they're not going to favour Nikki Haley and that's her home state. So Dems are panicking and in their panic, they're snapping back to some sort of Russia-Russia narrative again, um, which is just ridiculously patronising to the American people and is not working. But since Trump keeps mentioning pulling Europe into line with its NATO fees, you know, in other words, not expecting America to foot the bill for NATO to protect Europe, not that the war in Ukraine is protecting Europe, um, the sanctions uh, uh, and the blowing up of Nord Stream has actually hurt Europe more than it has Russia. But this attitude toward NATO has been um, Trump policy from the beginning of his original uh, foray into politics. So nothing new for him. But he makes this case, um, as he makes this case all over again, Biden, Clinton, Tim Kaine, Marco Rubio, and other Dem talking points and rhino talking points in the media are still calling him a Putin stooge, as they did in the 2016 election. Hence the Russia-Russia talk being revived again. But they're reviving it on the basis of his comments about NATO. Um The best thing about Trump running, even in the sinister circus of an election year, is that we've had the example of him as a president, as I said last week, and he was he was excellent. So, no, you know, no new wars, considered troop withdrawal instead of the debacle of the disruption when Biden exited Afghanistan. And of course, Russia and Ukraine were actually both on notice while Trump was in office because he's unpredictable and strong. And that um, fosters respect and makes bad actors think twice. Even Kim Jong-un ended up behaving himself. So this is a huge problem for the seething Mm. corrupt Democrats. Yeah, huge. And the rhinos, the swamp. But the question is, what will they try next to prevent his winning? It's interesting that they've got legislation in place. I I read in uh, that Hill article uh, to stop a, a president pulling out of NATO. So they're getting, they're getting that kind of uh, legislation in place. And uh, there was a great uh, interview on um, on the Leighton Smith podcast with uh, author Aaron Day, who um, he wrote a book called The Final Countdown, The People's Last Stand Against Tyranny by Central Bank Digital Currencies. And he was saying that Biden signed legislation um, in 2022, uh, which... Um, uh, authorize the development of CBDCs and the regulation of cryptocurrencies. So all of these little things are part of a, a big Dr. Evil kind of world domination hole Yeah, uh, where, where they're getting ready to crash the dollar and uh, have a central bank digital currency. And you can get all twisted up with what's going on here and it's a great show, but actually what's really happening is it's happening over here and we're trying to keep your eyes off it. Yeah. Peter, anything to say about 
Trump and that huge fine, three hundred and fifty million, and and I think the the um, attorney general for New York is saying we might actually start taking his properties away from from him if he doesn't pay. Mm. Yes, uh, I think hell will freeze over before that happens. Uh, Donald Trump will win the 2024 American election, I think, quite comfortably. And I don't think the world has got too much to fear. The liberals will go crazy, of course, but the way things are tracking at the moment, it's going to be President Trump for a second term come January of next year. And I think as a consequence, the world is going to be a safer place. What's going to happen in the Middle East? What's going to happen in Ukraine? I do not know. Uh, but certainly there will be no escalation. Well, Trump. he says he'll save uh, it. He'll, he'll, he'll stop it all in a over. day. He'll, he'll stop it in a day. I'd like one phone call. Well, I don't think he can quite do that, but I don't think there will be any escalation, put it that way. I was I astonished right. to, to learn that New Zealand had made had a $100 million commitment to supplying military aid or various types of aid to Ukraine. Yeah. Oh, I know. Mm, that made me very cross. There's a, 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 a an announcement, I think, in the last day or so. So that tops it up another 25 mil on 82 mil. So yeah, 100 mil. So I, that I felt so angry at Winston and Judith Collins when I read that, and I know that they do it because they have to. It's like diplomatic schmoozing, in all, you know, as part of the Five Eyes um, diplomacy, and also. Um, as, you know, us being a partner, not a full member of NATO. But they should not do it. Um, these diplomatic trappings are going to have consequences and it's perpetuating suffering, most especially to the Ukrainians. And frankly, Kiwis cannot afford. How about giving... death? Suffering, it's death, like yeah, wholesale yeah, death, yeah. meat grinder death. Yeah, well, I mean, that's hence the suffering. But we have our own problems and we can't afford to give aid to other nations, I don't know why we do it all the time, especially rogue nations. And um, I mean, that what they should, what I would love to hear from Judith Collins or Winston Peters is they should tell Zelensky to go and seek a peace deal with Russia tomorrow, and accept that they are going to lose territory to Russia. And I believe that's what's going to happen anyway. Eventually, the whole thing's madness, and they poked the Russian bear right in the eye again and again, and then the bear charged them with his claws and his teeth. Um. And I surely, surely and Winston, Winston Winston must be aware, being the foreign minister, of the colour revolution, the, um, what was it, Madan revolution? Ma- Ma- Madan, yeah. Madan revolution. Um, the um, suspect uh, origins of Zelensky, um, the unaudited billions and billions of dollars, the treatment of the Orthodox Church, the cancelling of all um, political opposition. The death the- of Gonzo Lira. Yeah, I was just about to say that, and and that's blood on Biden's hands, for crying sure out loud. You yeah. know, he he must be aware of all of this. We're on the wrong side. I don't like being on the wrong side. No, it's awful. I know. Well, they, look, I, all I can say is Judith and Winston deserve very heavy criticism for these terrible decisions. Um, but as I say, it is diplomatic schmoozing, and I wish they'd quit it and actually act with a proper conscience and morally. We could do with a hundred million dollars in our in in our health system. Or yeah, we could do with that money. Housing people. Or, yeah, know, just just say million things that could be spent on. But this is what we're going to get. So that's that. Any anyone have anything more to say about about that? <laughs> Come on, November. 
<laughs> I hope Peter's right and that it is an easy walk for Trump into the presidency. But to be honest, Peter, he, he was going to win the 2021 as well. And look what happened. I mean, the election fraud was off the scale and industrial level. So, you know, terrible things can happen that prevent that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortably sitting back thinking it's going to happen. It may not. Yeah, well, either way, uh, there's just four more years of octogenarian madness come 2028. There will at last be somebody a bit more youthful at you mean, come 1600 on. Pennsylvania Avenue. Like well, I I, it's not an age thing, though. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Trump smarts. <laughs> I mean, Biden, obviously, the way he walks, he's like a robot now. It's, it's ridiculous. And obviously, he... The, the latest um, if piece it's I Biden, saw, Paul. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Is it the latest piece I saw yesterday? Um, him doing um, some uh, um, announcement. It was so heavily edited, virtually every sentence. So that tells me he can't even get through a sentence. Mm, it's a very sick pantomime. I'm so done with it, but all right, it continues. Um, want to get on to the New Zealand Defence Force uh, decision in the Court of Appeal yeah. late last week. Um, we talked to the folks involved in that, but it seems that NZDF are kind of doubling down. The house always wins. You spend your money fighting them, and they spend your money fighting you. You know, terrible. Yeah, they they do what they want. So their statement was very odd, wasn't it? And I thought, you know, the New uh, the New Zealand Defence Force made a, a public statement after three days of silence, um, but it was very peevish. Um, and, you know, it was the statement that it's temporary defence force order to demand COVID vaccination or lose your job was not a mandate at all. Yet the dictionary defines a mandate as yeah. an authoritative command or instruction. Yeah. It, was, it was just business as usual for us. We're in the business of authoritative commands and instructions. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Now get back in line. But but um, the NZDF statement said in some reporting this has been confused with COVID-19 vaccine mandates, which is incorrect. There are currently no COVID-19 van- uh, vaccine mandates in the NZDF. Well, I mean, they're clearly what uh, they clearly are since they made it an internal mandate loaded onto their existing vaccine schedule, including booster shots. And if personnel haven't complied, they're dismissed or at best disadvantaged. Uh, they call it a requirement and quibble over the word mandate. Um, I noticed that in the in the judge's report on, on the ruling in point 10 of the introduction and summary, it says, however, the respondents, that's the defence force authorities in the case, have not demonstrated that there was a justification for adopting more prescriptive and more stringent consequences for failure to have the prescribed COVID-19 vaccinations than in relation to other vaccinations. In particular, they have not shown that the objective of maintaining the ongoing efficacy of the armed forces could not have been achieved by a less rights-limiting measure, namely retaining the more flexible approach that applies in relation to failure to obtain other vaccinations listed on the NZDF vaccination schedule. And to that extent, the TDFO, the order, and related instruments are inconsistent with New Zealand's Bill of Rights. 
So I love that wording because it shows that the judge obviously didn't factor in the usual hysteria of, but there was a pandemic on kind of talk. Um, Mm. He clearly noticed that matters related to the COVID-19 vax were given this over-the-top preferential treatment where the Bill of Rights was overridden with this particular vax and not others. So pretty interesting. As Guy Hatchard said uh, on your show earlier this week, Paul, uh, there's always the underlying assumption that the vax is effective. Yeah, well, they're di- it, oh, yeah, to such yeah. a high high degree, it's like uh, instant belief in it. And mm. that's such a lie. I mean, that's a terrible and well, why would you lie. give your soldiers and and the people who need to be the fittest this thing? Mm. Because, I mean, how are they going to do in battle now? <laughs> Well, if there's one world government, maybe nations won't have to battle against each other. Maybe that, I don't know, who knows? Pete, I mean, the American military absolutely destroyed itself. The extraordinary thing about this particular judgment is that the word used by the court was unlawful. Mm. Once you say something is unlawful, surely it's game over. And Mm. for the NZDF to be even thinking about not taking any notice of it is just just extraordinary. It 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 just stinks of out and out arrogance that somebody's got to tell them to pull themselves into line. But will we have a politician, a minister of defense prepared to do that in the case of Judith Collins? I suspect not. Sadly. Well Mark Mitchell's the big strong guy who goes overseas and But he's not the Minister of Defense. Judith's the Minister of Defense, isn't he? He could have a word, couldn't he? I don't yeah. know. Uh, I, I think that um the NZ Because they're being lawless. Smack around here, but they're not they're prepared to try and stand up again. And it's it's uh, remarkable. Take just admit that you were wrong. Can can somebody in a position of authority in this country, at some stage, admit that they were wrong. No. <laughs> Peter, that would be like dying and going to heaven. Well, people would love to hear it too. Well, they would. Has, has Ms. Petusis Harris, uh, with this latest report, uh, which has come out, which has said that the chances of catching myocarditis are, what, 3.75 times higher if you've been vaccinated, is she is she finally beginning to admit that there is a risk? There was a risk. It's a drip, drip, drip. That came out a couple of days ago. Even though that report is highly dodgy in terms of its authors and their funding and the conflict of interest, which is declared. Uh, let's let's not be unfair about that. The conflict of interest is declared. There's a lot of CDC people in there, Ministry of Health people in there. So there is a massive conflict from the people who have authored this report, but they have put it up front and said there is an increased risk of heart disease if you have this this vaccine. Mm. What could be clearer? I've seen her and others on tape saying the complete opposite over and over again. What, before Mm. this report came out? Yeah. She's done a couple of interviews. Uh, I think recommending that pregnant women should... Yeah, I know. Well, that was just outrageous that she was able to say that. And and the, the pink-haired lady said the same thing. In fact, I was in my previous life as a talkback host, I was hauled over the, the coals uh, by bosses for suggesting that was wrong. And my point was that neither Patusas Harris 
or Susie Wiles are medical professionals, and neither of them have the ability or indeed the authority, uh, the legal authority, to offer what is medical advice, and that's what they were doing. And they should have been given a very good slap by authorities at the time, by by uh, health authorities at the time. But they medical were, council, course, medical council. Well, they're, they're not under the jurisdiction of the medical council because they're not medical practitioners. Okay, well, they, but, but they, they should have been. They should have been given a very stern talking to and, and told you will not offer medical advice again because that's what it was. Oh dear. However, that's history. It is sadly. Um, yeah, it's about time someone sort of just said sorry. <laughs> well, I don't know whether or not this new expanded Royal Commission is ever going to have anybody say sorry. Uh, perhaps we could just have a quick word on that too, Paul. I, I've put in my... Yeah, sub- please. I've put in my submission, and essentially it says that the current chair of that Royal Commission being paid, what is it, $1,690 per day... 20% higher than normal Royal Commission members, uh, I've said that he he cannot possibly stay there. Mm. Is this Blakely? Yeah. Tony Blakely, yeah. I mean, we, we knew his stance on, on lockdowns before uh, he was appointed to this board because he was, he was often in the media. I've interviewed him myself. He was regularly in the media stating what his position was on a number of matters, and yet they go and appoint him as the chair of a royal commission, which was going to sit in secret and was obviously designed to be a monstrous whitewash. Uh, Thankfully, the coalition agreement has said there will be new terms of reference, and I would like to think new new members as well. And Blakely surely must be replaced as the chair. Winston Peters said as much beforehand, and I thought that in the coalition agreement there was uh, a phrase about uh, independent uh, new, new, there was new independent inquiry. So, how can it possibly be independent when you've got a guy like Blakely, who was in favour of lockdowns the whole time, advised the Victorian government uh, as much, and according to some screenshots which have been been cited on the internet, he was at one stage uh, being funded by Moderna and by Bill Gates. Now. Right. Nowhere these days can you find that particular page, but the screenshots exist. I imagine that once that particular funding, that conflict of interest was put into the public eye, uh, it was quickly removed off his um, page on the University of Melbourne website. But if he has had Moderna funding for various research projects in the past, then obviously his his uh, position as the chair of that royal commission is even more untenable. Yeah, but who's going to who's going to move on that? Brooke Van Velden have act taken over that inquiry? Have they? Well, they uh, came out the New with New Zealand First Initiative, yeah, wasn't it? Seems to have. That's because Brooke Van Velden's the Minister of Internal Affairs now, and it comes under her. <clears throat> they, uh, I guess. But I would like to have seen New Zealand First play a stronger role in this. In well, this they said that they were a bit, um, a bit. Um, Sideswiped by by that, and uh, their comms people sort of screwed up. But I don't know where it's gone since then. That was a few weeks ago. What mm. happens then if 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 this doesn't come up, this inquiry doesn't come up to, to our satisfaction? Let's say what happens. Well, I think we've got to we've got to just make sure we have 
an A4 page of questions that we demand be answered. And I think that's where this whole movement's fallen down a bit. We've offered too much information and we've assumed that everyone's operating on uh, some sort of mor morality that, that's based in logic. And, um, you know, that old adage, you don't know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out, it applies morally as well, it turns out, you know, and, and the whole COVID thing revealed that a whole lot of people uh, will go along with whatever to uh, be seen as a good person and say, stay safe. So we've got to keep understanding that and I think operate on, on questions, you know, why did the government, and the, the <coughs> one to my mind is why did the government have the... Uh, have the uh, data segregated by vaccinated and unvaccinated, say they were going to release it and then not release it. I think we know why. Well, I mean, you know, that question, you know, uh, reveals a lot more than whatever 95,000 pages of uh, material that the commissioners had to read. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, don't trust Act. I don't trust Act to be in charge of this thing or to be playing a huge part in it because, I mean, Seymour was an absolute vax Nazi. <laughs> There's no other term for it. So I really, you know, I, I'd like to see New Zealand first, uh, yeah, have a much larger say or be more vocal about what's yeah. going on. And I, I was hoping that Casey, Casey Costello, Olivia, uh, as the Associate Minister, this would have mm. been one of her uh, particular roles as the Associate Minister, but sadly she seems to have been consumed by this whole tobacco fiasco, doesn't she? And yeah, yeah. But maybe, I, I, consequently, she's going to be side-stepped, side sidetracked um, in, in health matters, particularly with the COVID inquiry. I had yeah. her on this program, just quickly to say, and I was trying, you've got to be gentle, you can't be too brutal. And yeah. I did try and sort of say that, you know, this is going to work out all right, isn't it? This is going to be independent, isn't it? And she was... Remember, she was sort of quite adamant that, yeah, that's what we said we would do. And she agreed that um, impact on health encompassed injury and, um, you know, efficacy, et cetera. So that's what she said. And disruption to people's lives, as in, you know, people that died. That's quite a disruption to people's oh, yeah, lives. Oh, yeah, yeah, You know, um, <laughs> I, I think we just have to find out once all the submissions in and they've been looked at and, it's further down the road. Maybe we'll see more from New Zealand first on it. I hope so. Um, it is end a huge of March, thing. Isn't it, Olivia, the end of next month when the submissions close. Yeah, twenty fourth, twenty fourth or twenty eighth of March. Mm. Yeah. yeah. See, that's not that far away. No, it's not. I see One a lot month. of people saying now in comments, "Just let it go." Yeah, oh, well, those yeah. are the people I was talking about. Like hell. They want to feel safe. They want to be good people. They want to, you know, get along. Yeah. Well, and then the you hear, and then you hear, maybe you shouldn't mention a Fesso Collins. Okay. Um, Grant Robertson's resignation. That was no surprise, right? And, and the job he got was no surprise either. I, I would put that out as well. Who wants to go first on this one? Uh, um, I've got a bit to say, Olivia. Cover. Yeah, you go then, Peter. You go. No, no, you university educated people speak before me. <laughs> I, I don't have a university education. <laughs> Neither do I, Marty. Oh, <laughs> I, I, Marty, it's your turn. Oh, I just used to walk past the student leaders in their little common rooms or whatever and just uh, 
think of them with absolute scorn. And so all of those, you know, the student politics thing, certainly when I was at university, was was a certain type of person. And um, they stayed at university a long time, took years and years to get degrees, and they were almost always in arts, as yeah, Robbo's was. Mm. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, How did he end up being a finance minister then? There's no kind of core expertise there? Well, he was he was um, he was taken under Michael Cullen's wing. Oh, okay. So Michael Cullen uh, mentored him in the same way as uh, Cullen oh, Clark mentored um, uh, Comrade Cindy. Yeah, that turned out really mm. well. Those mentoring efforts. Yeah, yeah. What okay. What about the fact that Grant Robertson he said said. Uh, on the day he resigned, that he was most proud of getting the country through the COVID pandemic economically. Um, what I'm most proud of is saving lives, but also livelihoods, reminding people that Treasury had forecast unemployment going over 10%. Um, it was meant yeah. to be that. But, I mean, how how is more than $100 billion of new debt and printing more money getting us through economically? To say nothing of the many, many people who lost their businesses thanks to the government mandates that they enforced without mercy. I mean, his statement is an incredible statement. And here's, this is what I want us to really say. They did not save any lives. Not a single life has been saved by the government COVID response. Not one. Um, they have taken life by forcing people to take an experimental injection. That's why our all-cause mortality stats are now excessive and reflecting that. So boasting about how they saved Kiwis from a problem that they were the very cause of insults the intelligence of New Zealanders. Um, the other thing I really wanted to say about old Robbo, he said the toughest time he'd had in Parliament was during the occupation anti-mandate protest, which I have to say made my heart swell a little. You're good. Go us. So it was a it was very evident from the vicious way they attacked us and all the media and physically in the end that they were uh, very, very, very afraid of that protest. I wrote about that at the time. Um, I've always said that, and they really did not expect it, nor the numbers that were involved. So we really did something amazing, uh, which we already know uh, will stand in New Zealand politics. Yeah, well, uh, people forever. coming together and self-organising without government, Very life threatening. under the government's yeah. nose. That would have been confronting for them. Yeah, we oh, don't need your patronising uh, help. And massive hackers on the lawn. So, you know, to uh, Grant Robertson, I say good riddance to this porky pig of a woke fascist. He and Otago University are a perfect match. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, Otago University, job. Olivia, is it's an institution that goes back to, what, 1869. It is the oldest university in New Zealand, founded by a couple of Scotsmen. So I was going to say Scottish people. Yeah, <laughs> Andrew and, and the Reverend Thomas Burns. Fine people. Yeah, but somehow the the Scottish heritage has been usurped and it is now a Tatirity-led institution, whatever oh, what? that means. It's also in deep, deep financial shtuck. The story about Robertson's appointment uh, coincided with another report about how the university's finances are worse than originally thought. The budget deficit of twenty million was, I think, expected to be sixty million this year. So Robertson, frankly, and, and there was a cartoon in the Otago Daily Times yesterday. Uh, Robertson uh, 
being seen to jump from the frying pan into the fire. And he was jumping out of the, the yo, the cartoonist did it quite nicely. And that is an absolute summary of, of what um, Robertson is doing. And if he shows the same lack of skill in fixing the New Zealand economy, uh, in in addressing the finances of Otago University, then frankly that university is going to be insolvent before before too long. What also got me about the appointment process for uh, Robertson is that the job has been a bit of a poison chalice in recent times. There was an American or a Canadian lady called Harleen Hain who was the vice chancellor. Uh, she left under circumstances which were not particularly um, pleasant, I understand. Then uh, Dr. Skeggs, Professor Skeggs was, uh, was it Skeggs? Murdoch. Um, well, uh, an epidemiologist, Christ, I'm having a brain fade here, uh, was appointed to the job. Um, uh, he was the head of the, the medical school in Christchurch. Uh, Marty, you help me out here. You're involved in the medical industry. Your wife's a doctor. Who was the was it Murdoch, David Murdoch, or David Skiggs? One or the other. I I can't I, remember. I, I, do recognize I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but anyway, he was uh, appointed. Didn't last too long until uh, illness took over and he was forced to resign. In fact, I don't know whether he even took up the job. Uh, there's been an acting uh, vice chancellor, name's Helen Nicholson who uh, is a former dean of the, the medical school. Uh, and so you've got a, a history of academics and the, the university council uh, said proudly when the, the last incumbent resigned, we are going on a worldwide international search and we are going to get a leader of outstanding quality to take over this institution. <laughs> and blow me down, they come up with a failed minister of finance. <laughs> Global search, you eh? Can, yeah, this is this is another Labour Party plant because uh, David Clark, the disgraced former Minister of Health, is about to start or has just started as the registrar at the university. On the council is another disgraced Labour MP, Claire Curran. She was one of the people who appointed Robertson to this job. I mean, it is just quite extraordinary. Is that, that where they all go? Yeah, Otago University is becoming a, a home for failed Labour Party politicians. No, no. And they wonder time. why the role is <laughs> dropping, they're not attracting students, and they've got a $60 million deficit. They've also just appointed uh, Professor Jacinta Ruru, who was the former head of the, the law school, to be the uh, Deputy Vice-Chancellor Maori to lead the Teitiriti-led uh, institution. So it is... A quite extraordinary fall from grace, and I suspect Mrs. Uh, McAndrew and Burns are turning in their graves if they saw what yeah, they left at an Eden the way it's turned out. Yeah, uh, utterly tragic. That is yeah, tragic the, the, to our the student. As the an student numbers will be the be the proof. And isn't that where we train our doctors? Oh, we train half our doctors. Is it Marty? Is is it's Auckland as well? Yeah, Auckland they're looking at Waikato, well, yeah. but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it would have been as simple as Grant Robertson saying, hey, look, I know the people who control the funding in the Ministry of Education, they owe me a few favours and there's a lot of yeah. funding pools that go unspent because people don't know their way around government. Give me mm. a job. Ah, uh, okay. A very, very well-paid job too. Rodney was saying it's $650,000 yeah. a year. 
That's what he said. It might be a bit less, Olivia, if he takes up um, his accommodation option in the lodge, which is the vice chancellor's uh, residence uh, oh, out nice. of um, St. Leonard's. Does that mean his, um, his partner stops driving the buses in Wellington? And... Yeah, Elf apparently is shifting down. Oh. Yeah. they got a bus service down there, right? Yeah, Grant's coming home, as they say, uh, because he's a King's High boy, born and raised in South Dunedin. Oh, and he was the guy who said, I've got him on tape, or on an audio clip, saying um, this is a pandemic <laughs> of the unvaccinated, is what he said. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that um, bothers me say. is this is a, I guess, continuing on what I was saying before, it's a, it's a continuation of the march through the institutions. This oh, absolutely. Is, this is the indoctrination of New Zealand's youth, which is starting in the state school system at the age of five, and it's all the way through high school, and it's being led by the zealots at the Ministry of Education, by the zealots at the uh, teachers' unions, and now when you put people like Grant Robertson in as vice-chancellors of our universities, there is just no stopping this march. Therefore, there are more and more young New Zealanders looking for university education opportunities offshore, whether it be through scholarships or just tapping up the bank manager to go to Australia. It's a, it's a worldwide yeah. problem, though. Yeah. Academia all over the world has, yeah. has been, yeah. been uh, destroyed by this. Yeah. And New Zealand 18-year-olds are not going to have their problem solved by going to the University of Melbourne, are they? Well, we should have I taken know. them more seriously. I remember I was working in Wellington once and I was I was selling I was working with a friend of mine who had a water cooler business and I was selling water coolers and I accidentally knocked on a um, the door of a, a Ministry of Education policy development unit and this wretched little man <laughs> answered the door who had these thick thick glasses and this ill-fitting tweed jacket with drifts of dandruff on the shoulders and he, he looked at me in this myopic way like hey what and um, he was elbowed out of the way by the largest bull dyke I've ever seen in Dungaree. <laughs> and she said, what do you want? And I just sort of stood there for a moment with my mouth open, just thinking these people are deciding what my kids are going to be to. I don't even oh. have kids at that point. Yeah, frightening. But they're did frightening you, Did you sell them the water? Well, no, <laughs> I, I ran. <laughs> he he Shrinking fled. down the hall. <laughs> but... Um, Speaking to the financial position of that university and others, we believe too, won't be too long before they're insolvent anyway and, and kind of implode by the sounds of things. What happens then? Well, um, maybe maybe we'll get – who knows? If, there, if luck was on our side, maybe we would get some – another industrious Scotsman um, with some Calvinist rectitude and some good um, fiscal responsibility that – takes an institution like that and actually revives it away from all this cultural Marxism. You'd have but to reset it somehow. We're at wouldn't peak you? cultural Marxism. I mean, it's, we're at You're the zenith. Past it. I think we've gone past the peak. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, Jordan Peterson's talking about setting up universities that are that are online cheap. You can go and do university courses from Harvard online at, at little or no cost. I still think it's worth rescuing our institutions if they could possibly be rescued because they are, I don't know, maybe I'm just a sentimental conservative, but they were mm. wonderful once. They can be wonderful again, but once all this wokeness starts dying, and, and we've, got to, we've got to remember, even though these things are on steroids at the moment, woke actually is dying. 
It's very unpopular. And look at the swing back to the right, right through Europe and European politics. Well, it's all there for a reason. I mean, the the, the reason that children are no longer taught philosophy and and uh, lo, the logos, basically, you know, the idea of, of uh, objective right and wrong is because it suits the people who print the money to have people stupid and able to be bossed around. Yeah, using fear. and run and, on subjectivism all the time yeah. with everything. Mm. Yeah, well, that brings me back to my earlier point of, you know, our danger that we have is – uh, laboring under the misapprehension that people think the way we do. They don't. Yeah, and no, you're right. It's a good point to make, Marty, mm. because I, I, that was so clear through the whole COVID nonsense, wasn't yeah. it? It's that Everyone used to pretend that they would have Anne Frank in their attic, and then we saw clearly yeah. that they'd be far more likely to be kicking in a door yeah. and even more likely to be making a call to the Gestapo. Yeah, snitching. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now we know. Um I'm moving well, Paul, on. Can I just say yeah, sure, thing to correct my loss of memory before it was Professor David Murdoch uh, who was the uh, appointed uh vice chancellor. But if he took up the job, it was for a very short time. He was the head of the medical school in Christchurch, the University of Otago Medical School there. I don't know whether he even shifted to Dunedin, but he uh it, it was his resignation through ill health that has brought about Robertson's appointment. To just clear that up. All right, let's get on to Luxon's state of the nation. He said the state of the nation was fragile. And then the next, the next story was we're we tightening up the, the benefit system, which was kind yeah. of predictable. Fragile. You know, yeah, my, my repeated criticism of uh, Luxon is that he's, he's always waved about as this great businessman, but it's so obvious that he's never had to stand on a car yard and sell someone a car. <laughs> like I all, had to. <laughs> yeah, like I had to. He's all features and no water benefits. Cooler. <laughs> he's got to talk in benefits. You know, so, so you know, the statistics he gives around the increase in, in beneficiaries is horrifying. Mm, it, aren't they? He, he's got to start talking about, and, and you know, the, the Greens frame them, there's a terribly Oh, just uh, uh, um, what's that little girl with the hairy eyebrows? Name Chloe Warbrick wrote that. Um, wrote <laughs> oh, that, that, that just this terrible article about how uh, um, the problem Luxon concluded wasn't that benefits are set below the poverty line and trap people there. He told us the problem was the beneficiaries themselves. His solution was to punish the poor. He's got to be saying <clears throat> he's got to be framing things in a way where he acknowledges it sucks being on a benefit. I understand it's frightening stepping away from that, but your life's going to be better if you do. And I think going against that socialist idea that everyone's all the same, they probably should start developing some fast track out of um, out of benefit dependency if people put their hands up. You know, it says if, if you put your hand up to get off a long-term benefit, We'll give you support. We can't give it to everyone at once, but if you put your hand up, uh, you know, we'll help you get fit. We'll help you deal with addiction problems. We'll help you deal with mental illness. And um, we'll teach you to work because working is a lot like exercise in that if you haven't done it for a while and someone who's really fit tries to get you fit, they often smash the hell out of you and you get all sore and you think, well, screw this. And likewise, if you've been sitting around playing PlayStation and pulling bongs 
for five years, you know, a, a two-hour working day is is going to be a bit like running a marathon. You've got to acknowledge that. <laughs> Why yeah. would you want to give that up? I'm, yeah. I'm well, because in 10 years, you can be someone who's helping other people give it up and your family can be better off and people can be uh, – you can be feeling a whole lot better about yourself. And that's that's the, the selling point he's got to get around to making. Somehow, somehow, somewhere, a politician has got to stop what has been going on for 50 years. I don't know who that politician is. I don't suspect he or she is in Parliament at the moment. But the reality is when I started work in 1973, there was a Royal Commission into, I think it was called the Royal Commission into Social Work, chaired by a distinguished man of the bench, Sir Thaddeus McCarthy. And that was a royal commission which sat and then came up with recommendations, one of which was the domestic purposes benefit. And that was the beginning of what I call the modern welfare state. Sure, Mickey Joseph Savage brought it in in 1938, and it was about giving people a a helping hand. But what happened after 1973 with the introduction of the DPB, that was the beginning of the, the modern welfare state. And it's just gone on and on and on and on ever since. And mm. there has been little effort made by the politicians, the the, the governments of of all colours, uh, to, to 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 make it difficult uh, to not get the benefit. If you get my drift. In other words, if you want to be on unemployment, it's easy. Go for it. Uh, if you want to stay on it, it's easy. That Paula Bennett tried for a while uh, to put the sanctions on, criticised heavily, but she had some success, particularly in terms of getting the father, uh, chasing down the absent fathers who uh, should have been paying money to the solo mothers. Uh, Of course, when Labor comes in, all those sanctions are off, but there are rules in place, and, and what this government is planning to do is nothing more than enforcing the rules. Uh, which Labour very slackly for the last six years decided not to. It also does not, the, the statistics which came out uh, a couple of days ago, saying there's 109,000 people who have been on job seeker support work ready for over a year. Doesn't that make a nonsense of the unemployment rate? I mean, even in, in my radio days, I remember looking at the statistics saying the job seeker support work ready category. Uh, and this was from the official Department of Statistics uh, charts, they said this equates to 6.7% of the estimated workforce, yet the unemployment rate was at about 3.7%. So how how can you say, because the the unemployment rate is taken from some some thing called the, the... Household or labor survey, or something. household labor force survey, which is nothing more than an opinion poll. Basically, it's uh, it, it's t- I think surveying ten thousand people and saying that's representative of New Zealand. That's where they get their unemployment rate. The real deep data, d- deep uh, data statistics are in the job seeker support work ready numbers, which suggest that something like seven or eight percent of the working age population is not working because they're being paid a benefit. Mm. So how the hell can you say the unemployment rate is that low when we know another set of government statistics say it's not? But the point is, after 50 years of making it very easy for people to get all sorts of benefits, how do we reverse the thinking? And it's going to take a very strong politician to say, 
time for a bit of tough love. It's going to have to be pretty tough, though. If you've employed people and you've had to get uh, productivity out of them to enable you to make money beyond what you're paying them, you realise not everyone goes the same. And there are some people who just are incapable of, um, especially with the the, uh, minimum wage getting jacked up, which means you can't pay your best workers what, what they're worth because you're paying your worst workers what they're not worth. So it takes away it's all these unintended consequences. But yeah. if, if if I was king, I would um, get uh, some landscape architects to go around New Zealand, uh, make a planting plan, uh, and work out what uh, they were going to take out, what products you could make with it. And I'd make kind of a nursery for people to practice working, doing something worthwhile that didn't yeah. involve having to get someone to actually employ them and try and get productivity out of them when they're not going to be able to. As I said, it's like getting fit. You know, you, your first walk, ideally, if you're dealing with someone who's really out of shape, should be, hey, practice getting your shoes on. Or walk to the corner, walk back, give yourself a treat. Mm. You've got to have some way, though, of of changing it. And that's that's the that's the big problem, isn't it? Like major manual infrastructure or something, well-paid. So make those roads, make those railways, extend those runways, but but have them with with people more manual labour to to soak them up and, I mean, I, what do I know? You but, can't you know, diesel for making roads. The thing well, is, you, if you, you're pay, saying, if you pay, Paul, pay them, that, feed them well, that might be yeah. a damn good incentive and you get something, you know. We go back to the days of when people worked in the freezing works for six months a year and were paid huge money for working in... In, in the freezing works, hard, dirty work. Yeah. Uh, what what people do in Western Australia now, working in the mines, uh, hard, dirty, hot work, but yeah. pay big money. They only need yeah. to work two weeks yeah, out of four. Your initial focus would have to be on getting the people who are actually capable of that out of the unemployment. And, and yeah. th- this is what I was saying earlier about not everyone's the same. Yeah, so you have true. to preferentially get those people who maybe have just fallen into a rut and get them out first. And then it's a bit like refining uh, oil into various uh, grades of uh, fuel. Mm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, good luck with that one. Um, well, it's been 50 years reaching this point, and I don't see I don't see an end in sight, frankly. Sanctions. Well, they, all mean, went wrong, all went south at the DPB. I think it did. I think that was the start of it, yeah, and, and a lot of No, history. you're right. It was. It, it did start going... Um, south then very much so but but you know what struck me too is the the numbers and figures that Luxon was espousing in that address you know the 70,000 more on job seeker um, since uh, then the 70,000 more than there were in 2017 and of course what happened in 2017 um, Jacinta came to power yeah. uh, those numbers are Utterly eye-watering, um, but of course, along this last three years, when we those lockdowns were lethal for people psychologically. Um, I, I I remember how I how I felt when we were sort of forced into our, to stay into our apartments apart from walks and stuff, and of course, um, renegade dinner parties we kept going to, which got us through. But it was unbelievable and I remember thinking this is going to mess with so many people and if they uh, have a tendency to be lazy or easily defeated um, this just gave every it was basically the whole country went on welfare 
in the in those lockdowns. I mean, that, that's what happened. And so you psychologically, everyone got the idea. Well, this is okay then. This is what our governments actually not only were encouraging but forcing us Demanding, to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and I. I and I, I just don't think we've gotten over it. Um, we've all got a whiny little voice in our head, and when we get fat and unfit and lazy, it starts whining. It says, oh, you know, I said this on Media Matters this week. Yeah. You know, hey, this just isn't fair. You know, I'm Life's probably so hard. Oh. Mm -hmm. that, that whiny little voice that we need to see as our enemy if we're going to make any progress mm -hmm. has political representation by Grant Robertson. He's he's yeah. and his fellow travellers are the the politicians who represent that whiny little voice. Chloe Swarbrick is um, identifying beneficiaries as the whiny little voice. And what I'm saying about Luxon's failure to um, to features tell benefits sell it is he's got to talk to the people beyond the whiny little voice and say, "Hey, you're capable of greatness." You could get a lot more out of life. And once you start doing that, once you get used to making that effort, you're going to start enjoying it, and then you're going to bring a whole lot of life into the people around you. It's something to look forward to. It's a great thing. He did kind of do that in the address, though, Marty. You know, he, he kept saying that this country is loaded. He said we were exceptional. And, yeah. And Don't know about that. The we, like that. We, we get the royal we. We climbed Everest. We invented split the oh. atom. Uh, you know, no, I mean, I haven't done those things. I don't know about you guys, but... Yeah, on the kitchen stove, yeah. That was his attempt at sort of this inspirational kind of talk toward, um, you know, people that are stuck in this mentality that is yeah, but they're not um, listening egregious. To, them. to be fair, they're not listening. They're not climbing No, everything. No, but it was no, a sorry. state of the nation. I don't know why I'm doing that, they're thinking. Yeah. Mm. They're watching it on their 4K TV, which uh, they bought on uh, on the welfare. All right, um, uh, we're coming close to time. Uh, I know, Pete, you wanted to uh, talk about that state of the nation. We've kind of looked at that now. Have we yeah, got sure. any more to say about that? No, well, not really. Just that Christopher Luxon is, in my mind, completely and utterly living up to predictions of being an uninspiring prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> Too vanilla. All right. So... Um, just going to rattle off a few things. Anything to say on Efeso Collins' death? Very sad. Very sad. Yeah, sounds like a nice guy in 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 the newspaper. Um, talks about him, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's uh, sad for his family. Sad for his friends and colleagues. And uh, and um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Jenny Anderson, Mark Mitchell, spat. She's wound it back. A bit. She sort of wound her neck in on that one a bit. She needed right? to. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Did she what? What a nasty woman. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there are going to be more stories coming out about uh, Jenny. <laughs> and, and being touted by some as a potential successor to Chippy. Yeah, really? Oh, dear. That's probably what you need. <laughs> Somebody who makes baseless accusations. Against yeah. the opposition, mind you, the, the Labour Party. In a hot spot, do, though. It's it's not unreasonable to think he might have been caught up in a few things. Of course, it, it, you um, know, I mean, Mogadishu was a sh hole of the yeah, highest order. Someone yeah. else said that once. And that was a lot of trouble. Yeah. Oh, really? Um, well, it's just true. And I mean, anyone doing work there during during a war zone and stuff, you. you 
you know, you might have to kill a few people to, to rescue your goods when they've fallen into the hands of well, Willie, um, Ap- criminal Ap- cartels. Appiana, is it the VC Ap- guy? Ap- Ap- yeah. yeah, he must have. I mean, why do they sign up for that? You know, yeah. but, you know. And notice he said um, it was World Economic Forum. They were working for the World Economic Forum. Well, they, that's who had contracted their company. Oh and um, and I thought, yep, well, there's all this globalism. He made millions of dollars from globalism, but that's a different issue than what she was trying to bring up. Yeah, that he made a profit. Yeah, I know. He yeah, said with such he. contempt. Yeah. Day, the same people have never had to profited. employ anyone. <laughs> yeah. She clearly recognised, though, it wasn't going to age well. Well, yeah, That if she walked it back, that's why she walked it back. It wasn't because she thought, ah, oh, you know, I was kind of a dick back there. <laughs> yeah. He actually owes that man an apology. A Labour politician making an apology, yeah. Olivia? Yeah, yeah, I know. As you say, hell, free, hell will freeze over first. Yeah. And the last we have on the list is um, iwi assets versus distribution. Yeah. I just wanted to make a comment on this. Uh, there's an outfit called TDB, which is a consultancy which looks at the assets of the uh, the various iwi post-settlement. And the top 10 iwi in the country, including Naitahu and Tainui, uh, who had their settlements, gosh, in the case of uh, Tainui nearly 30 years ago, 1995, they've amassed something like $8 billion in assets uh, those assets dropped ever so slightly in value in the last year. The payout, the the payout, remembering, of course, that the treaty settlements were designed to build up an asset base so that the iwi could then help their people. They paid out $235 million from an $8 billion asset base. Trickle down. Mm. Trickle down, well, it's, it's hardly even a, a leaky tap. Drip down, is it? It's, it's extraordinary. There's just no money going to uh, the people at the the bottom of the pile, and I think in particular of Waikato Tainui. We know that that is the richest iwi in the country. I think their asset base now is 2.2 billion, with their hotels and their their various property investments, and yet what's 20 kilometres north of uh, Naro Wahia is the town of Huntley which has a college there. Bearing in mind that town of Huntley is still smack bang in the middle of of Tainui country. And Huntley College has amongst the worst educational outcomes in all of New Zealand secondary schools. And that is happening about 20 kilometres away from the heart of a $2.2 billion incorporation, which pays no tax. And I just think that's a disgraceful uh, absolutely disgraceful uh, indictment on where the iwi money really goes. It makes well, me a liberal trickle trickle down look like Hooker Falls, doesn't it? I was, I was yeah. talking to a friend of mine who uh, who actually was the chairman uh, of uh, the Eastland Community Trust, which which built up quite a large asset base in a similar way. And he's involved with various Maori organisations now. And he, he said to me, you know, he he thinks that's what a lot of iwi are doing because. Eastland Community Trust were criticised for not handing out more money as they built their asset base. So he, he he's optimistic that they're going to be doing that more. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think um, we have to get more realistic about what uh, traditional Māori society looks like. And it looks like chiefs and it looks like utua, the commoners. Yeah. 
That's right. And it suits the Chiefs just fine if the commoners are kind of dumb and just do what they're told. And yeah. that's, um, it's 30 know, years, Marty, 30 years since Tainui got all that money, yeah. 170 million, and they've had top-ups and they've turned it into 2.2 billion. So pretty good investing with their hotels yeah. and the, the, the base at Tarapa, et cetera, et cetera. But where is it helping their people? It ain't. So where does that money go? Good question. Yeah, well, what? It, it's a, uh, ideally it's an asset base, but yeah, you do see uh, businesses fail because there's a bit of jobs for the bros. Although one of the things Tainui did very well was employ competent people rather than their whanau. Um I don't know. I, I'd, I've, I've worked with iwi businesses. I've, I've written um, websites for them, and I've done planning work for them. Uh, they mean well, but but we need to get back to that. Uh, idea where New Zealanders, Māori and Pākehā and, and, you know, everyone else can uh, cooperate a bit more and not have that adversarial thing going on all the time. We can be more than some of our parts and, and start to go, hey, look, you know, do we all agree that kids should be better educated? Let's let's focus on that sort of stuff rather than what Hobson meant when he signed this or what this version or that version of the treaty meant. Just squid ink, and it's distracting us for all these psychos who want to take over the world. Mm. Any yeah. final comments on any of the matters that we have talked about this morning? Not from me. <laughs> I'm talked out, Paul. But yep. Yeah. Yes. Nice being with you. Uh, yeah, nice to have you. Thank you for being part of it. All right, we'll leave it there. So that's our political panel for this week. I want to thank Peter Williams for beaming in. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure. Marty Gibson for beaming in from the panel room. <laughs> yep. No, <laughs> On great. the panel. The bleach and, panel room. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's the real deal. It's and actually a Botox clinic. Uh, Olivia Pearson, good to have you again. Uh, thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. And we'll talk again. Thanks. Okay. Bye, fellas. Goodbye. Thank you. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom reach new audiences and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.